I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to FT Analysis. Shareholder activism is a contentious issue. Some see activists as fearless advocates for investors, while others would argue they are opportunists who are only looking out for themselves. In this report from New York, Stephen Foley, the FT's US investment correspondent, takes an in-depth look at the issues surrounding shareholder activists and explores why the legal landscape may now be shifting in their favour. For most of his long career as a Wall Street attorney, Martin Lipton has been the man to call when companies find themselves under attack. He's a master tactician, famed for his ability to outfox the wiliest corporate raider or hostile bidder. Now, in the sixth decade of his career... The takeover defence attorney is fighting as hard as ever. Yet despite his efforts, today's activist hedge fund managers are having great success in forcing their demands on reluctant companies. The battles don't always go the hedge fund's way, as Dan Loeb found at Sony and Carl Icahn has learned at Apple and eBay. But look deeper to the battles behind the battles. And it's clear that Mr Lipton and his supporters are on the back foot. The intellectual winds have shifted. After a decade bookended by the Enron fraud and the financial crisis and characterised by a drip of revelations on boardroom pay and perks, institutional investors have been persuaded that company management has no monopoly on wisdom. And the boards that oversee management might themselves be in need of oversight. Mr Lipton says with a note of defiance, I'm in a minority, yes, but I wouldn't say that I was beleaguered. More and more hedge funds today are styling themselves as activists, and they've notched up significant victories. Their demands can vary wildly, from the sale of a company to share buybacks to an operational shake-up. They may apply their pressure in private, as Jeff Ubbins Value Act did to ease out Steve Ballmer as chief executive at Microsoft. Or they may do so in public, as in Nelson Peltz's campaign to make Pepsi split off its snacks business. But they have in common a belief in their analysis and a determination to force change, even if it means storming their way onto corporate boards. Success has attracted more money to the sector. Assets sit at a record $74.2 billion, according to Evestment. And with Bill Ackman's Pershing Square teaming up with a hostile bidder for Botox maker Allegan this week, the activists' ambitions are still growing. The legal, regulatory and intellectual skirmishes taking place behind the scenes are setting the new rules and increasingly shifting the odds in favour of the activists and away from the corporations. There are a half a dozen of these battles behind the battles raging. At issue are the acceptable use of poison pills, changes to corporate voting rules and the arcana of company bylaws, there's the role and power of proxy advisors, and what hedge funds must disclose about their stake building and when. Mr Lipton says, I'm still prepared to do the best I can to make sure that the playing field is level. We're not asking for protection, we're asking for a level playing field. In this debate, of course, the playing field that is level to one man is uneven to another. Jana Partners' Barry Rosenstein, 
who's taken on managements at Safeway, McGraw-Hill and Agrium, among others, says, The first wave of attacks on activism focused on convincing shareholders that active shareholder engagement was somehow bad for them. Having failed at that, defenders of underperforming boards have launched a second wave focused on rule changes and technical defences. In the long run, I doubt they will be any more successful, he says. These campaigns are sometimes fought with the fervour of a crusade. On one side are those like Mr Lipton who believe activists are exacerbating the market's tendency to focus on the short term. Says Mr Lipton, Virtually every activist attack involves reduction in assets, reduction in invested capital, reduction in R&D, reduction in future capex, and most significant for the economy, reduction in employment. And he continues, Is it good, appropriate national policy to permit Carl Icahn to scream at one company after another to try and get them to do something that will create profits for Carl Icahn? On the other side, activist supporters say a company's owners need to be engaged for capitalism to work effectively. And activists add that they have longer-term horizons than traditional fund managers often, the traditional fund managers being obsessed with quarterly performance. What Mr Lipton is to corporate defence work, Paul Roth is to the activists. Known as the Dean of the Hedge Fund Bar, Mr Roth says activists tend to show up for a reason and with a plan. He says, Companies that are doing poorly are the ones that tend to get targeted. A well-thought-out business plan for a company that's become somewhat entrenched in its thinking can result in all shareholders over time becoming substantially enriched. Now, both sides profess to want a dialogue of ideas. But how sensitive directors are to shareholder opinion can depend on how easy it is for shareholders to vote them out if the board stands in their way. For this reason, activists and the largest institutional shareholders have joined forces to fight for better tools to unseat directors. In this, the Securities and Exchange Commission tried but failed to help. It proposed in 2010 that dissident shareholders be allowed to place their own nominees on the ballot for board elections. But the US Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable mounted a successful legal challenge. Fights for proxy access are instead sporadic, company by company. Kelpers, the California State Pension Fund, has also been putting resolutions to annual meetings, demanding that boards institute majority voting for elections, so that unopposed directors must at least win half the vote to secure their place. While 84% of S&P 500 companies now have majority voting, the number is well below half among smaller companies. Anne Simpson of Kalpers says, Suffrage is being fought for in the land of the free and the home of the brave. There's even tussling over how exactly the rules should get changed. Boards can usually change corporate bylaws unilaterally, but if shareholders want to alter them, they require a supermajority, which is difficult to achieve. Schulte Roth-Zabel, Mr Roth's firm, sued the directors at Bob Evans Farms, a restaurant chain, in January on behalf of activist Sandow Asset Management, after the Bob Evans board overturned bylaw changes that had just been approved by shareholders. That case settled when the company reversed course, so lawyers are instead looking for another opportunity to test the issue in court. Another of the battles behind the battles relates to poison pills. An unwanted investor who is building a stake in a company can be stopped dead in its tracks by this potent defence tactic, which was invented by Mr Lipton in 1982. Dan Loeb's third point will ask a Delaware court next week to rule that Mr Lipton's creation has been taken too far and that Sotheby's is using it illegally to subvert shareholder democracy.
The pill has been upheld by numerous courts as a legitimate way to protect shareholders from a single investor taking effective control of a company without paying a takeover premium. The pill has been upheld over the years by numerous courts as a legitimate way to protect shareholders from a single investor taking effective control of a company without paying a takeover premium. It allows a company to issue unlimited amounts of new shares to existing investors so that no matter how many he buys, a raider can never have more than a certain percentage of the shares outstanding. And just as modern medicines can be engineered to hone in ever more closely on the triggers of a disease, the poison pill has been refined over the years to target activist investors ever more narrowly. They've been imposed at increasingly low ownership stake thresholds in recent years, and at Sotheby's, passive shareholders are given an exemption and allowed to hold up to 20% of the company, while Mr. Loeb and other activists are limited to 10%. Mr. Loeb's campaign to force himself onto the board at Sotheby's has been amongst the monks deliciously rude of this year's crop of activist battles. He calls the auction house an old master painting in desperate need of renovation. Sotheby's says he would be a disruptive director with no relevant skills. And the battle behind the battle over the poison pill is being conducted in similar vein. The two-tier system is an improper attempt by the directors of Sotheby's to entrench themselves in office, Mr Loeb argues. The winner in court could tilt the playing field for or against activism, with consequences for many more fights to come. But it's not just the US judicial system that can arbitrate these skirmishes. When Wachtel Lipton, Mr Lipton's firm, was hunting last year for ways to repel activist advances, it hatched a plan that would make it harder for them to nominate alternative board candidates. The manner of Wachtell Lipton's defeat in this idea revealed the power of another organisation that has its fingers on the scale of justice. Institutional Shareholder Services is the firm. It's a proxy advisor. What happened in this case? Activist hedge funds fighting for board representation typically pay their candidates a fee to stand for election, given the time and the potential bruises involved in a bit of proxy fight. But when two hedge funds, Jana and Elliott Management, proposed last year that they would also pay some of their nominees a bonus if the funds made money over time, institutional investors grew nervous about diverging incentives and disharmony in the boardroom. Sensing an opportunity, Wachtell Lipton proposed that companies ban directors from taking any payment at all, even a fee to stand. It drafted a bylaw provision that got adopted by three dozen companies within a few weeks. ISS is the largest of the proxy advisory services which recommend how shareholders should vote in director elections, say on pay votes, and the panoply of shareholder proposals that come up at annual meetings. Many small pension funds and institutional investors without the resource to assess every vote typically follow the recommendations of ISS or rival services such as Glass-Lewis. Some recommendations are estimated to have the ability to influence up to one-third of the votes at certain companies. ISS went into battle against the Wachtell-Lipton plan. It recommended withholding votes for the re-election of any director at Provident Financial, one of the first companies to adopt the bylaw change. Faced with this nuclear option, Provident backed down. Of the 33 companies that adopted Wachtell Lipton's bylaw, two-thirds have since reversed course. Mr Lipton concedes the idea has died. ISS has signalled it will use its power again. Directors of boards that ignore shareholder votes of any kind will find themselves with a negative recommendation when they're next up for re-election, it says. That could sharply alter the balance of power between boards and shareholders and give activists a new opportunity.
The proxy advisor's increased leverage and greater determination to use it has put them in the line of fire of corporations and their lobbyists who've been trying to persuade the SEC to curb their power, or at least to complicate life for ISS by bringing it under new regulatory oversight. The question, said a Wapta Lipton partner at a round table convened by the SEC last December, the question is whether ISS, which owns no stock, should have the power of a $4 trillion voter. ISS says its policies on corporate governance issues reflect its regular surveys of institutional investors, hedge funds and companies. Critics say it's in the tank for activists. The SEC is considering rules that would force the company to be more explicit about whether it's doing consulting work for the hedge funds, on whose proposals it's also making recommendations. Chris Cernich, an ISS director, insists it makes such disclosures to clients already and has Chinese walls between its research and consulting divisions. He says, Hedge funds are pretty frustrated with us a lot of the time too. We recommend against a lot of hedge funds, including hedge funds that buy research from us. Wachtel Lipton has also appealed to the SEC to force activists to come clean about their stake building earlier. Funds have to publicly reveal a stake of more than 5%, but they have 10 days to do so after passing that threshold. Together with buying during that grace period and the use of derivatives, Mr. Ackman and other activists targeting J.C. Penney in 2010, for example, suddenly emerged with 27% of the retail under their control. The idea of speedier disclosure rules to give companies more time to respond to activists has been supported by Dan Gallagher, an SEC commissioner, and by Leo Strine, the Chief Justice of Delaware, where most large public companies are incorporated. Mr. Lipton, however, does not sound hopeful that the SEC will act. I think it's probably dead, he said. His pessimism over this and other battles behind the battles is the result of a December speech by Mary Jo White, the SEC chairman, in which she lauded activists. It reads like a personal rebuff to Mr Lipton's view of the world. In the speech, Ms White said, It was not so long ago that the activist moniker had a distinctly negative connotation. It was a term equated with the generally frowned upon practice of taking an ownership position to influence a company for short-term gain. But that view of shareholder activists, which has its roots in the raiders of the 1980s takeover battles, is not necessarily the current view, and it is certainly not the only view. Mr Lipton's going to keep fighting, however. And perhaps his biggest battle of all is the one for public opinion. He's heartened, for example, that Larry Fink, BlackRock's chief executive, has urged companies to look past demands for short-term financial engineering and invest for the long term, even though BlackRock and other institutions are making common cause with activists to boost shareholder democracy. I think we've made some progress with institutional investors, Mr Lipton says. Not enough, but some. The other thing is to try to change the view of the people who are essential to ultimate change in regulation. The battle is still there. Certainly, I haven't lost it. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.